especially considering tonight's text that is such a contrast between faith and anxiety, nerves, and peace. I don't know that there's a more anxiety-driven place than the place that in the city that we sit in right now. There is an urgency, a constancy to so much of life here. And so my prayer as we gather here tonight around your word is that you would just give us calm. Rest. As we run to your arms, into your embrace, may there be true rest. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening and welcome to Epiphany. It's good to worship with you here tonight. It's been, it's been a little while, folks, since I've been able to see you. And I know uh, everybody's sort of in and out during the summer. You know, I was out in California for the last, uh, not quite a couple weeks, but pretty close to that with my family and had a wonderful time eating as much In-N-Out Burger and Mexican food as I could possibly get my hands on and hanging out with friends and, and family. It's just so good to, uh, to get out of routine and to be with, uh, you know, people that you love and talk about anxiety and rest and things, it was just a good good time to, to do that. I wanted to give you a little update because the last thing you at least heard from me, even though I wasn't here a couple weeks ago, was that uh, my wife had fallen and, uh, and had hurt herself and we had to rush her to the hospital. That was all true. Um, and after 12 hours of, uh, of tests and you know waiting around to see what the problem was, we didn't determine anything. We determined what it was not. Uh, the ER is sort of decided, designed to do that. It tells you what you don't have. It doesn't necessarily tell you what you do have. And so please continue to pray for uh, my wife, Missy, as we uh, you know, will be making doctor visits and we'll be uh, trying to further discover what actually caused the, the problem that caused me to miss uh, here a couple of weeks ago. And I, I do have to say, I mean, nicely, Thank the Lord. I mean, the last 12 days, she's uh, been doing fine, and we haven't had any episodes or anything like that. But uh, just continue to keep her uh, in your prayers. I really appreciate uh, this, the incredible outpouring of support and love that I received, received from you guys uh, the day that the, uh, that the accident happened. And uh, can, just really appreciate your continued uh, prayers for her. So, uh, so with that, tonight we are looking at Luke chapter 12. Uh, verses 22 through 34. The words are on the screen for you to follow along with. Probably a passage that you have heard before if you've been around in church. Even if you haven't, this might be a passage that you've heard in church before. Jesus is speaking. It says, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body more 
in clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, as I mentioned in my prayer, and uh, even just talking about the experience with, uh, with my wife, uh, if you watch the news on any given day with reports of mass shootings last week in two different places on the same day, I mean, it just, uh, the suicide of a high-profile uh, predator yesterday, you know, you have all of this. It just seems like there's this constant news cycle that is meant to induce in us a sense of, ah, a sense of panic all the time, ah, ah, and everything is, is just right now, everything's sort of urgent and in your face. And, and I don't know about you, but I, frankly, it, it works on me. I mean, I can get overwhelmed by anxiety if I'm not careful. And I think for a lot of us, anxiety or worry is almost the default position whenever we come across something we don't have control over. I think that's at the heart of it. And of course, it, it can be big things like, uh, you know, like a, a threat of a terror attack or something like that can cause you to have anxiety. But, but it's also the, the supposedly mundane stuff of life that gets you too, right? Am I performing well enough at work? Am I going to have enough money to pay the rent? Am I going to marry the right person someday? Just about anything can cause us to give in to anxiety. Dr. Richard Leahy, a prominent psychologist and anxiety specialist, is quoted as saying, the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. That is just an astonishing statement. I know the word is overused, I, I know it, and I hesitate to use it, but I think it's fitting to say that anxiety in this place right now is sort of at epidemic proportions. I mean, it's just everywhere. And then you have Jesus coming to us tonight 
saying not only do we not have to give into it, but that it's actually, of course, harmful for us to give into it. Now, I want to make a note here. Jesus is not talking about something that's clinical here. He's not talking about something that needs medication necessarily. That's a different thing. I'm talking about just the being bogged down by worry. You know the distinction. It's often said that the opposite of faith is doubt, but maybe the opposite of faith is, in fact, anxiety, because the opposite of faith, or, you know, the opposite of faith wants control, and the lack of control is what causes the anxiety to get us. So, so what I'm going to spend some time doing here tonight, looking at our text, is fleshing out the differences between faith and anxiety, what the two, how they contrast together, all right? So the first, first thing. Uh, what we see in our text, faith, faith has an eternal perspective, and anxiety has a temporal perspective. Faith has a, an eternal perspective, anxiety has a temporal perspective. Listen again to verse 22. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds. In contrast to faith here, anxiety is busy always storing up, storing up, storing up for the future because there is this underlying fear of never being prepared enough when the storm comes. Now, of course, this does not mean, therefore, that having life insurance or car insurance or whatever insurance you feel you need to have or having savings is wrong or displaying a lack of faith. It's not. The Proverbs, in fact, tell us things like that are good, right, fine, and salutary. But it does mean that our ultimate hope cannot really be found in those things. Because if we do make them those things, food and clothing and our comforts, well, then we'll never be satisfied. Faith looks above circumstances, whereas anxiety is stuck in them. So, I have met people that are near penniless, have basically no retirement plan, but walk in faith and exude a calm, poised joy. My grandmother is like that. I just visited her a little over a week ago. She's in her 90s. She's, and I, I, I mean, as long as I knew her, she was just, just at the simplest stage. She had a small little house. That was about it. She lived on Social Security ate very, very basic food, wore, wore very basic clothes, and yet has been an example to me my whole life of just quiet, strong faith. She's always had a perspective that looks forward to a city whose builder and architect is God, as the author of Hebrews said earlier in our service. On the other hand, I have seen the opposite. I have seen abundantly wealthy people who have more than most of us could ever imagine that are popping pills like candy in order to keep the stress at bay. They're focused ultimately 
only on now and what life holds now. And Jesus says that, of course, leads to anxiety. And so he's constantly urging us and his disciples, keep your eyes focused on what's coming, on what's really real, so to speak. As the author of Ecclesiastes says, this life is but a, it's a mist. He wants to give a, a, the, the most basic term for how short this life is in contrast to what's coming. It's a mist, it's a vapor. So faith, faith does not worry about food and clothing or anything else because it knows that, well, it's God is far above the heavens and the earth and will give us exactly what we need. That's, that's faith. Anxiety is the opposite. Okay, secondly, because of this perspective, faith is able to rest in God while anxiety toils and spins. Listen to Jesus again. Which of you, by being anxious, verse 25, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? He says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now the words I want you to focus on here are toil and spin. The words mean, uh, for toil, it means like exhausting labor. And the word spin was uh, used to describe when somebody was uh, turning fiber into thread or yarn. Just constant spinning. So put them together. You have this, you're spinning, you're exhausted, you're spinning, you're exhausted. I, I can't think of a better description of me when I am overwhelmed by anxiety, toiling and spinning. You ever done that? I mean, when you've been anxious about something and you find yourself just literally, like you're literally toiling and spinning. Like you're literally just pacing around and there's not an aim to why you're doing it and you might even be making grunts and noises for no good reason because it's taking you over. So what's the opposite of that? Toiling and spinning. Not working, not spinning, but resting in God's provision. Now, of course, again, that doesn't mean Jesus is telling us that we shouldn't work hard or that we should just sit in our homes watching talk shows waiting for him to drop money down the chimney to us. It's not what this is saying. Work, as a matter of fact, is a gift from God given to his creation before creation ever fell into sin. So there's nothing wrong with working. But anxiety is different, and you know this. Anxiety is walking in circles over and over and over again, going no particular direction, actually not accomplishing any work. You're not actually accomplishing something. It sort of looks like a dog chasing its tail. Biblically speaking, the thought is that we work hard for a living, but we don't place again our ultimate trust or our ultimate hope and assurance in our work to provide for us. Instead, we passively rest in God's grace to do that. As Jesus says in verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good, ple good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So faith places its hope in eternity and thereby rests in the eternal God for provision. And this can't help then but cause worship to God. That's the third point. Faith worships God. Anxiety looks to idols. 
persons, places, and things. Listen to Jesus again, verse 29. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. I love that language of seek his kingdom first, and all the things that everybody else is striving for, he'll just add them. If they're not the primary thing, they're just, they're an add-on, they're an addition. In one of my many favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis, he says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in, aim at earth and you'll get neither. Aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in, aim at earth and you'll get neither. So faith worships God while anxiety worships self. It is trusting in something other than God for what it needs, and therefore it's always unstable. It's always unstable. A little while back in an article for the New York Times, David Brooks was writing about the uh, about Alex Rodriguez right after he had been suspended for uh, being proven to have uh, been involved in some doping and stuff. And he said this, he said, he, he called it self-preoccupation is what he thought led to this. He said, quote, self-preoccupation creates an ego that is at once overinflated, insatiable, and overly sensitive. Self-preoccupation also seems to make it hard for supremely talented people to deal with their own talents. One of the mysteries around very talented people is why the most supremely talented baseball player on the planet at the time would risk his career to allegedly take performance-enhancing drugs. This is what Brooks says his theory is. My theory would be that self-preoccupied people have trouble seeing that their natural abilities come from outside themselves and can only be developed when directed towards something else outside themselves. The more we're focused on self, the more anxiety goes up. Here's the point. You can't carry the world. And when you try, don't be surprised when your life feels like you're toiling and spinning and you're never able to simply rest and worship. To lay your life into the hands of God. The deep irony of how God set up this universe is that the more we seek after treasure and fulfillment in this life, what Brooks would call self-preoccupation, the less we have it, but the more we seek after the true treasure in heaven, namely Jesus, we find ourselves having our needs met. Instead of being the dominating thing in our lives, they become secondary things at best that we don't have to spend much time fretting over. So that leads to the fourth point. Faith invests in God, anxiety hoards. Faith invests in God, anxiety hoards. After all this talk about anxiety, now Jesus concludes with an eminently practical way that faith manifests itself in opposition to anxiety. He says, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When you're free, when you trust in the Lord, you're free to be generous. 
you're free to give away. You're actually free from the things. You know, so often the things that we buy end up owning us. And I'm not the first guy who said it, and I won't be the first, I won't be the last fella who said it, but they do. We become obsessed with making sure they do everything that we hope they do for us. Have any of you guys ever seen the show Hoarders before? I can't watch it. I mean, I, I, like, I have, and every time I'm like, oh, oh, I get anxiety watching Hoarders. Because if you've seen the show, they go into homes where people have real problems with hoarding, and the amount of stuff, the, oh my, oh, the, the amount of things that people have. And then what happens is they have so much stuff that their house becomes absolutely filthy. They can't clean it all. And they usually collect a lot of pets and so they have so many pets they can't take care of all the pets. And then the pets end up making it more filthy. I mean, it just, it's a, oh, I get anxiety thinking about it. But um, it's an interesting thing. What's behind every one of the people's need to hoard on that show? When they're interviewed, you'll find out it's precisely what Jesus says here. Fear and worry. Buying the possession, owning the possession, is what brings them a temporary sense of peace and comfort. Having that thing in their home helps them feel like they're in control of just a little something. I've got just a little thing. If you, if you watch the show, almost every time the hoarder starts freaking out when the moving crew comes in to start throwing away what's mostly old junk. Why? Because they're placing their hope in all those cans of cat food for security. It's true. They're placing their hope in all those boxes of junk that they got from the 99 cent store for their security. It's something that makes them feel safe. And what's happening when people come in and move it is they're losing their control. But faith realizes, as Jesus says, we don't have control. We don't have control. That everything we have is, as Jesus says in verse 32, a gift. And the more we recognize that, the more free we become from anxiety. That our relationship to God, our salvation, our forgiveness, our families, our cars, our homes, our food, our air, our everything is pure gift. The more we recognize that, the more we walk free of the anxiety over having enough or controlling our families or you name it. It is as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the principle. <clears throat> One of the most faithful, most free, most generous people I have ever met in my life was a pizza delivery driver named James. He, he had a little mental disability, and sometimes he struggled with speaking perfect English, but he understood and received the gospel vigorously, and as a result, he sought to live obedient to God's word in his life. 
including his meager life of finances. So one night, I remember, I was at the church helping put something together, and James walks in. He has his delivery driver uniform on, his cap, the whole thing. He comes over to the desk I was working at, pulls out his wad of dollar bills and change and puts it on the table. It was all of his tips and stuff. I said, what, what you doing, James? He said, the Lord says to give of my first fruits and I just got off work so I wanted to make sure before I was tempted to spend my money that I give the Lord what's his. He then proceeded to count out about a tenth of what he put on the desk in front of me. He then grabbed an offering envelope, put the money in there, and placed it in a little box we have on the wall for offerings at the church. And I stood amazed at how seriously he took his giving. So I asked the pastor at the time about it, and he said, oh yeah, 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 James stops by all the time after work to make sure he does that. That happens almost every day. You see, for James, James's treasure was first and foremost in heaven. Why? Well, his generosity showed that. As Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive. Why? Not, not because God needs the gift. Not because God needed James to give the money. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He didn't need James's money. No, it's for James. It's for you. It's, it's for us to show like, yes, I really do trust you with my life, God. I trust you. Here, here's my treasure. So, in closing, let me just bring up a few brief points to help you with anxiety. First of all, I would urge you, if you struggle with this, if you struggle with worry and anxiety, uh, to talk to others about it. The Bible tells us that one of the reasons we need each other in the church is because we need to encourage one another and build each other up. And when we talk to each other about our anxieties and struggles, we oftentimes find comfort because we realize that many people have gone through the same things themselves. It's a good thing to talk to others about it. Of course, pray about it. Philippians 4, 6 tells us, don't be anxious about everything or about anything, but instead in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You see the correlation there that prayer is directly, it has a direct effect on anxiety. And then thirdly, most importantly, as you go from here tonight, remind yourself who you are first and foremost. Who you are first and foremost is and will always be a receiver. Always remember, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you what you need. He has always provided before and He will again. As Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Whether it happens in this life or in the life to come, that's a promise that you can stake your life upon. Why don't we bow for a word of prayer as we prepare to receive from him at the table.
Father, thank you for meeting our needs. Help us to trust you. Help us to know that you are good as we just sang in that song. Help us to look to you every day of our life instead of trying to do it on our own. Keep us from toiling and spinning as we pray with one voice together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.